Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Welcome everyone to Too Good to Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject of today's show is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject and research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names. We apologize. Neither of us have any particular knowledge of history or theology. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. And we will be talking about events that may be contrary to those accepted in the mainstream. We respect everyone's opinions and beliefs. Before we get into the subject matter of the Dead Sea Scrolls, there have been over the centuries wars fought over different ideals and beliefs. That makes me wonder if ideals and beliefs were the real reasons or just a means of getting the masses to unite and to go and fight. I expect that the people that have been involved in wars didn't have any real choice. Alternative ideas or beliefs would have meant punishment or death. Saint Maximilian, Maximilian of Tabessa was the earliest conscientious objector. He was a Christian who, died, who did not believe that it was right to serve in the Roman army. He was beheaded in 295 AD, age 21. Emperor Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, which accepted Christianity in 313 AD. By 323 AD, it had become the official religion of the Roman Empire, apparently uniting the empire. In 325 AD, the first council of Nicaea's main accomplishment was to establish the divinity of Jesus as the Son of God. This is part of the debate surrounding the content of the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
To be a good Roman citizen, apparently you had to follow the official version of biblical events. If there are alternative events included in the Dead Sea Scrolls, has there been a cover-up, as some allege? The Dead Sea Scrolls get some coverage in the mainstream media, but seem to receive relatively little public interest. Maybe ancient writings found in jars and caves just aren't that interesting. Also, they were first discovered a long time ago, more than 70 years, in 1946. Perhaps claims of alternative interpretations or a cover-up will make the subject more interesting. We mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls in the episode when we discussed the Watchers from the Book of Enoch, which was excluded from the Bible. Here again is the discovery of the scrolls from Wikipedia. Quote, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in a series of 12 caves around the site known as Wadi Qumran near the Dead Sea in the West Bank between 1946 and 1956 by Bedouin shepherds and a team of archaeologists. The practice of storing worn-out sacred manuscripts in earthenware vessels buried in the earth or within caves is related to the ancient Jewish custom of Genizah. As we mentioned during a previous episode, a Genizah is a storage area found in synagogues or elsewhere, designated for the temporary storage of worn-out documents prior to ceremonial burial. When were the Dead Sea Scrolls last in the news? Quite recently, the Travelling Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit is currently in Denver, Colorado. It will be on display until September of this year. Denver is only the sixth United States city to host the exhibit. The exhibit is on loan from the Israeli Antiquities Authority and contains only a small sample of the scrolls that are mainly kept in Israeli museums. Where are the scrolls actually kept? In the Rockefeller Museum in East Jerusalem, which is under the authority of the Israeli Antiquities Authority, also in the Shrine of the Book at the Israel Museum in West Jerusalem. The Amman Archaeological Museum in Jordan keeps some scrolls, while the French National Library in Paris stores several fragments. Some other fragments are in the hands of private collectors. Israel took major control of the scrolls from Jordan in 1967, following the Six-Day War. Why don't you explain what the scrolls are? Here's part of an article from the website Online Gallery. Quote, the Dead Sea Scrolls are a collection of 800 to 900 documents, mainly many containing ancient biblical texts. Some are in tantalizing fragments. Others are sub substantial and complete, the longest scroll being eight meters long. They were written over a period of around 200 years and were evidently placed in the caves to hide them from the advancing Roman army at the time of the first Jewish revolt, and hence no later than 68 AD. Carbon dating puts the earliest of them at about 150 BC. They may have been written out by the scribes of an ancient community living at Qumran near the caves where they were found. However, their origins are subject to much scholarly debate, and there are many different theories. What is clear is that the authorities were Jewish and disapproved of the, sorry, what is clear is that the authors were Jewish and disapproved of the Jerusalem priesthood at the time. The dry climate of the shores of the Dead Sea, parts of which today are 400 meters below sea level, the lowest place on earth a human can walk, helped preserve the ancient documents. In contrast to the Christian Bible, which survives in many manuscripts dating back to the fourth century, the oldest known source for the Hebrew the oldest known source for the Hebrew Bible before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls was on, only a thousand years old. They are therefore the earliest surviving sources we have for the Hebrew Bible by almost a thousand years." Unquote. 
The article doesn't mention the scroll that was written on a copper sheet, which we will talk about later. What do the scrolls contain? Again from uh, the website online gallery, quote, one of the scrolls found about a quarter are books of the Hebrew Bible of what Christians call the Old Testament. All the books, in fact, except Esther and Nehemiah, the most common books found are Psalms and Deuteronomy. A further quarter are religious texts, not part of, this, of a standard Bible, such as the Book of Enoch or the Book of Jubilees. The rest are other religious texts and a range of secular writings, including lists of laws, advice on warfare, and a catalog of places where treasure was buried. About one in six of the scrolls have not yet been identified. Over three quarters of the scrolls were written in Hebrew. The remainder are in Kony Greek and Aramaic, unquote. I think it is worth explaining more about the languages Hebrew, Koine Greek, and Aramaic. Ancient Hebrew was the language of the Israelites and their ancestors. It fell out of use between 200 and 400 AD. Koine Greek was the universal Greek spoken from about 300 AD to 300 BC. The Christian New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek. Aramaic was the language of the Assyrians who conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in the 700s BC. Parts of the Old Testament were originally written in Aramaic. What was the scroll that was written on copper? The scroll discovered in 1952 includes a list of 64 location, locations where amounts of gold and silver were kept. If gold and silver ha have been found, it is not publicly known. It doesn't seem that the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls has changed much of anything. If these ancient scripts are the earliest form of the Old Testament, it seems that there weren't many reports of differences between older and newer versions. Apparently, prophecies by Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Daniel not found in the Bible are written in the scrolls. Let's talk about the Essenes, who were, are also thought to be the authors of the scrolls. Here's part of an article from the Gaia website, quote, so who were these people who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls? The beliefs and the lineage of the Dead Sea sect, as they're generally referred, have been debated, but many believe them to have been a group of Jewish ascetics known as the Essenes. This group was described by Pliny the Elder as one living near the Dead Sea who did not marry, had no money, and had renounced all pleasure. The Essenes dedicated their lives to preserving the Jewish Bible and were thought to be ap apocalyptic a sect that was preparing for a rapture like Judgment Day when their righteous lifestyle would lead them to redemption. There's been endless debate as to who the Essenes really were. Some have pointed out their location would have been the perfect hub for trade, located 13 miles from Jerusalem and only a couple of hours from Jericho. Though Pliny the Elder's descriptions are most often referenced, it seems to have some contradictions, and others have pointed out that the people who inhabited the Qumran Plateau had been a thriving culture for many generations. The scenes were likely a small offshoot of that population at Qumran who were steeped in the mysticism of a newly formed sect. This factor was probably not popular among the main sects of Judaism. These people were led by one that they called the teacher of righteousness, an entity who bore an uncanny resemblance to Jesus." Unquote. Pliny the Elder was a Roman commander and geographer who perished during the destruction of Pompeii. Apocalyptic means prophesying the destruction of the world. 
After the short break, we'll talk about what the scenes believe and more information about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. We live in rapidly shifting times of extreme volatility and uncertainty. Such profound change brings a unique opportunity for the evolution of consciousness. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of Mission Evolution Radio Show, a program that explores the latest scientific developments and deepening spiritual truths supporting human evolution. Join me on xzbn.net, where I interview leading experts in science, physics, medicine, spirituality, and more. By applying divergent viewpoints to leading-edge topics, we uncover expansive and evolutionary truth to assist you on your path to enlightenment. More information and past episodes are available at missionevolution.org.
Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were discussing the scenes who are believed to be possible authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So what do the scenes believe? There is an Essene Spirit website that goes into great detail, but the following is just a small part of the content. Quote, they thought and rightly so that they were the heirs of God's sons and daughters of old and heirs to their great ancient civilization. They possessed their advanced knowledge and worked assiduously in secret for the triumphs of the light over darkness of the human mind. They felt that they had been entrusted with a mission which would turn out to be the founding of Christianity and of Western civilization. They were supported in this effort by highly evolved beings who directed the brotherhood. They were true saints, masters of wisdom, hierophants of the ancient arts of mastery. They were not they were not limited to a single religion, but studied all of them in order to extract the great, the great scientific principles. They considered each religion to be a different stage of a single revelation." Unquote. A hierophant is an interpreter of sacred mysteries or esoteric principles. What happened to those scenes? After 70 AD, when the Romans defeated the Jewish people, they were no longer able to follow their spiritual way of life and apparently became dispersed. So where does the alleged cover-up come in? Here's another part of the Gaia article, quote, a number of similarities between the Essenes mysticism and the story of Christ perplexed scholars of the scrolls. The use of the term son of God was found to have been used long before the time of Christ was presumed to have lived and was often used in the imagery of the Essenes. There is also mention of a council of 12, a communal meal, baptisms, healings, and the coming of a Messiah, all analogous to the story of Jesus." Unquote. The article continues, quote, despite strong documentation of this third sect, lasting between the second century BC to the first century AD, they are never mentioned in the New Testament. This has led some to believe that this is because the Essenes were a Jewish sect whose story was mis misinterpreted, later becoming known as Christians, unquote. So the alleged cover-up is that the scenes were the original Christians. Also, the Messiah was actually one of the scenes and not from the tribe of Judah. Yeah, that's what is appearing to be alleged. So how could a cover-up have been arranged? That's all in the book, The Dead Sea Scrolls Deception by Michael Bijan and Richard Lee. Wikipedia provides a description, quote, The Dead Sea Scrolls Deception 1991 is a book by authors Michael Bijan and Richard Lee. Rejecting the established scholarly consensus that the Dead Sea Scrolls were the work of a marginal Jewish apocalyptic movement and following primarily the thesis of Robert Eisman, the authors argue that the scrolls were the work of Jewish zealots who had much in common with and may have been identical to the earlier, early followers of Jesus, led by his brother, James the Just. Their unconventional hypothesis provides a different version of the history of early Christianity and challenges the divinity of Jesus. Lee and Bijan describe how the scrolls were kept under wraps for decades by a team dominated by Catholic scholars under the leadership of a Dominican friar, Roland Devoe. They contend that the preconceptions of Devoe and other members of the team led them to ignore evidence of the probable first century provenance of many of the scrolls and instead to consign these scrolls safely to the distant past." Unquote. Professor Robert Eisman is the director of the Institute for the Study of Judeo-Christian Origins at California State University, Long Beach. 
He is a controversial figure, and he contends that James, not Peter, was leader of the early church, while Paul was dishonest and tried to corrupt the church from within. Michael Bygen and Richard Lee are best known for their book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, published in 1982. What is the book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, about? In 2016, Michael Bygen and Richard Lee lost their lawsuit against publishers Random House, claiming that Dan Brown's novel, The Da Vinci Code, later made into a movie infringed copyright. Dan Brown did state that he used Holy Blood, Holy Grail as part of his research, among other sources. Both books contend that the Holy Grail was actually Jesus of Nazareth's bloodline, not the cup Jesus drank from, that, from at the Last Supper. If you look at Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting, The Last Supper, the figures in the center are Jesus and to his right, a figure that appears to be female. Some believe that the female figure is Mary Magdalene and that they were actually a married couple. So both books provide a different version of the history of early Christianity and challenge the divinity of Jesus. Is there more to this alleged cover-up or alternative interpretations? There are the findings published by John Allegro that are quite different from those of his colleagues. The following quote from the Gaia website reinforces the idea that the content was kept under wraps for decades, as included in the book, The Dead Sea Scrolls Deception. Quote, after the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, a team of archeologists and scholars well-versed in Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek were hard to piece together the fragments of the scrolls and decipher their texts. One of those scholars was John Allegro, a former student of the Methodist ministry, who gave up his studies in Christianity to pursue philology and archeology. span Allegro was the only member of his team who was agnostic with the rest of the group consisting of Christian scholars. Unsurprisingly, Allegro's interpre interpretation gave a secular perspective to the what the Dead Sea Scrolls may have implied. Allegro worked quickly to have his interpretation of his segment published in open to public scrutiny as soon as possible. By the early 1960s, he had finished and submitted his findings to scientific journals. However, his colleagues wouldn't publish their findings until the early 1990s, more than 40 years after the scrolls' discovery." Unquote. Philology is a study of language. An agnostic is a person who believes that nothing is known or can be known of the existence or nature of God. What were John Allegro's findings? Was John Allegro implying a cover-up by his colleagues by taking until the 1990s rather than the 1960s to publish their findings? John Allegro's findings were very different from the findings of others in the team translating the scrolls, again from the Gaia website. Quote, it's pretty clear Allegro's interpretation of scrolls was surely one the church would have wanted to hide if it was found to have some veracity. He posited the Essenes were actually a group of Jewish Gnostics whose scriptures upon which the Bible is based were known to be allegorical and mythological. These texts were also written in Hebrew and Aramaic, from which they were translated into the common Greek language at the time, plenty of, leaving plenty of opportunity for misinterpretations and false translations. Some words in Hebrew and Aramaic can look almost identical, but can have vastly different meanings. An example of this is the word is the Hebrew word imirha, that's with an H, meaning word, and the Aramaic imera without an H, meaning lamb. Unquote. The Jewish Gnostics referred to, among other things, uh, they believed that salvation was through gaining secret knowledge. 
What happened to him? His interpretation of the scrolls with the Bible being mythological and allegorical must have upset a lot of people. He had already upset the rest of the team by taking the, the copper scroll back to England. But later in 1970, the publication of his book, The Sacred Mushroom and the Christian Myth, resulted in John Allegro losing his job at his university, along with the publisher apologizing for marketing the book in the first place. In the book, sacred mushrooms were used as hallucinogens with the idea that the scroll's content resulted from the authors being under the influence. Apparently, Allegro spent much of his later life being unsuccessful in attempting to find the treasures listed on the Copper Scroll. Do mushrooms even grow in the desert near the Dead Sea? Apparently, mushrooms can grow in deserts after rain. Mushrooms may have held a mystique among ancient peoples as they were, as there was no evidence of seeds needed for them to grow. Mushroom spores would need a microscope to see them. Are there any alternative views besides those of John Allegro? The late Dr. Frank E. Stranges, founder of NICUFO, which is the National Investigations Committee on UFOs, dedicated his life to the study of the Bible and other ancient texts. He made a DVD trilogy entitled Mysteries of the Dead Sea Scrolls Exposed. Dr. Stranges claimed a direct link between the words of Jesus and the existence of extraterrestrials, but Dr. Stranges' life story is a little incredible. How so? He is the author of the book Stranger at the Pentagon, first published in 1967. In December of, 15, of 1959, Dr. Stranges met an extraterrestrial named Commander Valiant Thor and became friends. Here's part of the book's description from Amazon.com. Quote, Dr. Stranges authored several books on scientific and religious beliefs, including his classic, The Stranger at the Pentagon, which tells the unusual story of a spaceman named Valiant Thor. Because Thor was a real person who appeared in public on a few occasions, the legend of the stranger at the Pentagon has grown, becoming a real head-scratcher for 21st century UFO researchers. Today, it is still one of the hottest topics in ufology, having spawned various other books, documentaries, and even feature Hollywood films, unquote. Now, this is getting really weird. It's starting to sound like a Marvel comic. It gets weirder. Here's part of an article from the website, Those Conspiracy Guides from 2015. The Val referred to as Valiant Thor, the him referred to as Dr. Stranges. Uh, may, may have to finish his quote after the break. The story of Val presented him with was that on March 16, 1957, in Alexandria, Virginia, Val's ship, the Victor One, landed, and he and his crew of three, Jill, Don, and Tanya, were greeted by two police officers, and after some quick thought transference, had them called their superior officer, who called the Pentagon and a meeting was arranged with Neil H. McElroy, the Secretary of Defense. I think we'll have to continue with this quote and continue talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit... Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. 
Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. www.futureofgodamen.com That's www.futureofgodamen.com Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, Dad, you were quoting from an article, Those Conspiracy Guys, about a story of Val, who is Valiant Thor, and him, who is referred to Dr. Stranges. So, Dad, can you please continue with this quote? Sure. Once McElroy confirmed the veracity of Val's claims, he was ushered through an underground tunnel to the White House, where he met with President Dwight D. Eisenhower and Vice President Richard Nixon. Now, already this story is seeming a little hard to follow, and like cornflakes made of sandpaper, even harder to swallow. But hold on to your tinfoil hat, as it's about to get really weird. According to Dr. Strangers, he and others were sought out by Val as being devout followers of the word of Jesus Christ, unquote. Well, now returning to the Dead Sea Scrolls, have there been any recent discoveries? There has been a discovery of what is known as the Gabriel's Revelation Tablet, Here's a brief description from Wikipedia, quote, Gabriel's Revelation is a great McCritic limestone tablet with 87 lines of Hebrew text written in ink, it measures 37 centimeters by 93 or 76 centimeters in height, while the front of the stone is polished, the back is rough, suggesting it was mounted on a wall. The writing is a collection of short prophecies written in the first person by someone identifying as Gabriel to someone else in the second person, singular. The writing has been dated to the first century BCE or the first century CE by its script and language, unquote. The tablet was discovered in the year 2000 in, in the area of the Dead Sea. It was purchased from a Jordanian antiquities dealer by a collector who kept it in his Zurich home. In, home. In 2007, when a paper was written about the stone, its existence become, became well known. The authenticity of the stone is not disputed. It would seem to be important to know its exact location when it was found. What are the short prophecies written on the tablet? The website Gods and Science provides an overview. Quote, the text on the tablet makes clear references to the Messiah who will destroy evil and bring him righteousness. In the stone tablet, Gabriel commands the Messiah to live after three days, a seeming reference to the resurrection of Jesus, unquote. I don't recall ever hearing about Gabriel's revelation tablet. I'm surprised it hasn't been more in the news. Until this week, I had never heard of it either. It is as if attention is not being drawn to these ancient artifacts. Are the scrolls available to view online? The Leon Levy or Leon Levy Dead Sea Scrolls Digital Library allows web browsing in the scrolls that have, uh, allows web browsing in the scrolls that have been digitized with more being uploaded over time. But who is going to be able to translate what they are, what they see in front of them? With that, I think you should ask the first question. In fighting wars over the centuries, what has been more important, the ideals and beliefs themselves or those in power applying an accepted set of ideals and beliefs to unite opposing groups? So that could be answered two ways, since it really depends on individual circumstances, but it leans more towards the second answer overall, but sometimes it is the first answer. Why did the Roman Empire give up its pagan gods to become Christian? 
Was it a means of uniting an empire or for more idealistic reasons? More for uniting the empire and basically whatever the leadership believed, it was transferred down to other peoples. In 325 AD, why was the first council of Nicaea's establishment of the divinity of Jesus as the son of God the first priority? Because they wanted that idea and concept to be very solidified, where it was clear what they believed so it could be transferred to others. Why did it take until 1946 for the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Because they were well hidden, so they weren't available as other biblical texts. Were the Dead Sea Scrolls written over a period of around 200 years and placed in caves to hide them from the advancing Roman army no later than 68 AD? Yes. Were the authors Jewish who disapproved of the Jerusalem priesthood? For the most part, yes. Why was one scroll written on a sheet of copper? Because it's a very important scroll and they wanted it to stand out. With the exception of the books Esther and Nehemiah, are the Dead Sea Scrolls the original version of the Hebrew Bible? In a way, yes, but in a way, no. So some of the information is still not completely matching up. Were the scrolls written in Kone Greek, Aramaic and ancient Hebrew? Because those languages were languages they thought would be most recognizable after time. If the authors of the scrolls did not approve of the Jerusalem priesthood, why is their Bible very similar to the accepted text? Basically because they believed a lot of it, but there were certain points that were different, so they emphasized the points that were different. Why are about one in six of the scrolls not yet identified? Because they are written in a way that it's very hard to understand, and there's still some scrolls actually missing. Will these missing scrolls be discovered in the future? Possibly, if there's more exploration. Did the Essenes author the Dead Sea Scrolls? Partially, yes. What is the overlap between the authors being Jewish and also being Essenes? Basically, it was a group of them, so it was different people. So some were Essenes, some were Jewish, and they wrote them together. So that's where the overlap in religion occurred. Were the Essenes in a, uh, were the, the Essenes in a apocalyptic sect dedicated to preserving the Jewish Bible? Yes, that could be said. Were the Essenes leading a righteous lifestyle in order to receive redemption? Yes. Where did the idea come from that mankind needs redemption? Basically, you could think of it as kind of a concept that started way before their time, where good and bad things happen to people. And the belief became that if you do something bad, then something bad may happen to you, which leads into the idea that if you do something good, you might go to somewhere good. So it leads back to this place where people basically believed that their actions and their thinking affected what occurred to them, and that if they did something bad, that something bad would happen. And they wanted to try and avoid this and make it so that they would go to a good place, since especially even in death, death is a very scary concept. Who was the teacher of righteousness as described by the Essenes? Basically, it was more of a belief than an actual person. So it was more of a vague concept. So it was kind of, you could think of it as they put it into one person, but there really wasn't a name to this person. Did the Essenes believe that they were the heirs of God's sons and daughters of old, the heirs to their great ancient civilization? In a way, yes. Did the Essenes possess advanced knowledge? 
Not exactly, no. Did the Essenes work assiduously in secret for the triumph of the light over the darkness of the human mind? They tried, yes. Did the Essenes believe they were entrusted with a mission which would become the founding of Christianity and of Western civilization? If you want to call it Christianity, then yes. But yes, that was one of the things that they did think. Were the Essenes true saints, master of wisdoms, masters of wisdom and interpreters of the ancient arts of mastery? Not exactly, no. Were the Essenes not limited to a single religion, but studied all of them in order to extract the greater scientific principles? No. Did the Essenes consider each religion to be a different stage of a single revelation? No. Are there a number of similarities between the Essenes, mysticism and the story of Christ? There are similarities, yes. Was the term Son of God used by the Essenes long before the time of Christ? They used a similar translation, yes, but again, it was in a different language. So Son of God can mean many different meanings in another language. So in English, yes, it would be Son of God, but in other languages, it's more of a more including concept. In the scrolls, are there accounts of 12, a communal meal, baptisms, healings, and the coming of a Messiah? Yes. Is there significant content in the scrolls that is analogous to the story of Jesus, although written before his birth? That could be said. Why aren't the Essenes mentioned in the New Testament? They were excluded from the New Testament. What is the motivation for Michael Bygen and Richard Lee in writing the books The Dead Sea Scrolls Deception and Holy Blood, Holy Grail? Basically to connect the Dead Sea Scrolls and to get the information out there since the Dead Sea Scrolls are not something that is widely acknowledged or widely studied. Were the scrolls associated with the early, follow early followers of Jesus, led by his brother James, suggest? That could be said. Was the content the scrolls kept under wraps for decades as a cover-up, as alleged in the book, the Dead Sea Scrolls description, Deception? Sorry. Some of the scrolls were hidden away, yes. Is Robert Eisman correct in his contention that James, not Peter, was the leader of the early Christian church? That's the rumor, yes. And the problem is that with the New Testament, only certain people's accounts were chosen, which makes it very tricky. As suggested by Rod Robert Eisman, was Paul not as he is represented in the New Testament? That could be a theory, yes. Is there anything more you can say of Paul as he was a big presence in the New Testament? Basically, that you can kind of think of it as, you can think of it as, as a book that was written which, with each individual account. But the problem is that with any conversation, if the whole conversation is enriched word for word, then there will be gaps. There will be information that's not exactly completely what occurred or what was said. So the problem is that with the written word, it is not the same, for example, as a recording where you get the whole perspective. So that's the issue with a lot of written texts is that there's the account from the person, there's the account from the other person that had the conversation, and there's a true account that unless written word for word may not always be 100% accurate. I think we're going to have to continue with the next question after the break, Justina. Yes, we'll continue with the questions and the psychic insight after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simultv, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simultv. Simultv offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. The concept of a new age has been around since the late 19th century, yet much of its original meaning has been lost. What exactly is the new age? Is it a religion? A collection of obscure esoteric practices? A series of doomsday predictions? Or an astrological event? The New Age Chronicles is a unique, complimentary publication bringing reason and grounded information to separate fact from fiction. Chock full of valuable information to support you as we make the monumental shift into the new era. You won't want to miss a single innovative issue. The New Age Chronicles newspaper is coming soon to www.newagechronicles.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we are going through the questions and the psychic insight about the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, Dad, will you please continue with the questions? Sure. Without being too specific, is there any truth in the books Holy Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and the Da Vinci Code? There's some truth, yes. In Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting, The Last Supper, is the figure to the right of Jesus intended to appear as a female? That could be said. Was the intention of including a female figure in a painting to represent Mary Magdalene? Vaguely, yes. Were the two figures in the center of the painting a married couple at that time or later? That could be said. Why was John Allegro able to complete his findings on translating the Dead Sea Scrolls by the early 1960s 
whereas his colleagues took until the early 1990s. They weren't looking at the correct language to translate, so they were using a different, you could call it, a different slang version than he was using a different slang version of the language. Was John Allegro correct in what he was doing while the others were catching up? In a way, yes. Was John Allegro correct in thinking that the Essenes were actually a group of Jewish Gnostics? Not exactly, no. Was there plenty of opportunity for misinterpretations and false translations owing to similar words in Hebrew and Aramaic having vastly different meanings? Yes. Why weren't the treasures listed on the Copper Scroll ever found? Because they're still hidden. Was that why the Copper Scroll was so important? Yes. Did the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls consume magic mushrooms which acted to influence their writings? No, they were not on magic mushrooms. Were mushrooms seen as mystical in ancient times as their seeds were not obvious? Yes, and different herbs also, but it was more of a recreational party type thing. So it wasn't, you could think of it, it was not something when they had to do something serious, but more of when there was a party going on. Why was John Allegro so intent on different version of it? Uh, start that again. Why was John Allegro so intent on a different version of history than the birth, life and death of Christ as included in the New Testament? Because it did not line up with what he believed. Was Frankie Strangers correct in claiming a direct link between the words of Jesus and the existence of extraterrestrials? In some people's minds, yes. Did Frank E. Strangers meet an extraterrestrial named Commander Valiant Thor, becoming friends in the process? Yes, in his mind. Did Valiant Thor appear at the Pentagon? Yes. Did Valiant Thor have a crew of three named Jill, Don and Tanya? Those are English names, but that could be said. Did Valiant Thor meet President Dwight D. Eisenhower and Vice President Richard Nixon at the White House? Yes. Did Valiant Thor seek out Dodger Strangers and others as being devout followers of the word of Jesus Christ? No. What was Valiant Thor's mission? Basically just to come down and observe and meet different people, but it was not anything to do with Jesus Christ. Why was the limestone tablet Gabriel's revelation created? That's a very complex answer, but what can be said is just because it was very important and that information needed to be written and something that was destructible, but not indestructible. Is the tablet from between the first century BC and the early first century AD as indicated by its script and language? Approximately, but again, time was very new. So the time doesn't exactly matter. Does the text of the tablet make clear references to the Messiah who will destroy evil and bring in righteousness? That interpretation is very loose, but yes, in some terms, yes. Does the text of the tablet include Gabriel commanding the Messiah to live after three days without seeming to be a reference to the resurrection of Jesus? That connection could be drawn, but other connections could possibly be drawn. Why are digital renditions of the scrolls available online when only a very few could attempt a translation? Basically, that answers its own question, where not many people could read them anyways, so it doesn't matter that they are widely available. How many people in the world would be able to translate from the online digital renditions? Not many at all. It would have to take a lot of ancient language classes and a lot of ancient languages that were passed down. 
Have any of the scrolls been created as fakes? There have been some over the years, yes. Have any of the scrolls been destroyed because their content is contrary to accepted dogma? Yes. What would it take to achieve an undisputed authentic translation of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Basically the knowledge of the ancient language and getting rid of this human bias when translating. So all the options for each word would have to be looked at and put together. So it would probably take a team of different people and also looking at each individual world from multiple different meanings instead of just assuming it's one meaning. Is there anything in the scrolls that directly questions the divinity of Jesus as later established at the First Council of Nicaea in 325 AD? Each text has a human interpretation. Every text has multiple interpretations. So it's really based on each listener, how they want to interpret the Dead Sea Scrolls and other different texts. Since one, it was not originally written in English. And two, each passage is up for many different ways it could be coming across. So it's a hard thing in language is that you never really know how it's said unless it's spoken out loud. For the first council of Nicaea in 325 AD, was the goal to provide official dogma rather than establish what the council members thought was the truth? In some people's minds, it was based on what they thought was the truth. But in any council, there's always going to be opinions, and it's very hard to know the truth after the fact. So the council should have happened sooner for one, and two, it's very hard for a group of humans to come together and make a decision when they weren't exactly there when the actual event happened. So that's the hard part. There's always going to be biased in anything and everything that humans do. What was the purpose of writing the Dead Sea Scrolls? Basically to fill in some gaps and also have this kind of predicting text, which became before other texts. And also the group wanted to make a point of hiding these scrolls and of the effects it would have later on. So it basically was their own way of, you could think of doing a treasure hunt of different texts and having people translate those texts. What, could, what can we learn from the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and their subsequent history over the last 70 years or so? Basically to interpret texts however you want. And there's always going to be conspiracies and there are always going to be connections drawn. But it's up to each individual person to really believe what they want to believe. And the point needs to be made too that in translation everything can have different meanings. So each language has different concepts, different meanings behind each individual word. You even see that in the English language where native English speakers may understand. But when people learn English, it's very hard for them since each word and how each word is said could have totally different meanings. And each form of a word could have a whole totally different meaning, which makes it complicated for the English language and also for other languages. And also there's a lot of text. There's a lot of written word that has been destroyed over the years and some that is still waiting to be discovered. That was the last answer. Are more Dead Sea Scrolls waiting to be discovered too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Well, Justina, that was the 50th episode of the show. So I think we owe a big thank you to the listeners because without the listeners, we wouldn't have had many shows. Yes, we want to thank all the listeners, and we're super excited that it's our 50th show. It's a really big milestone, and I just want to say today was kind of a more serious topic, but as always, we love to hear from you guys, and we love to hear from the listeners, and we like to cover more serious topics, more fun topics, more strange topics, and 
over the last 50-ish shows, we have covered such a wide range of topics. Yes, today's was was rather serious and uh, I guess hard going uh, in the beginning. Um, I'm not sure actually <laughs> what to think of it. I think I have to listen to the show myself or uh, uh, read read some more to try and uh, figure it all out. But um, there was a lot of food for thought, but I'm not sure exactly where it's going to take uh, myself or anybody else. Well, I just want to mention that any listener that's listening can always go to our Facebook page at Too Good To Be True, and the first two is spelled T-W-O, or our website at www.toogoodtobetrue.net, and you can always feel free to contact us, share your opinions, have a conversation if you have any thoughts about today's show, anything to add, or if you have any suggestions, because we love doing listener suggestions, and uh, this show was kind of my idea more, but we've had many different shows that were from the listeners. Yes, we've got um, two exciting shows in the work, uh, in the works, and uh what the subjects are are top secret at this point, but uh, beyond that, we're well, one that is partially based on a listener suggestion, let's say that. So we'll be looking for uh, more listener suggestions. I think over our 50 episodes, the more interesting ones have been based on listener suggestions. What do you think? I think it's interesting for us since it's kind of topics that you or I may not think of, so it's kind of more... I guess I would call them out of the box, where it wouldn't be a topic I would really think of, which we really appreciate. And I think this episode today of the Dead Sea Scrolls kind of fits our 50th episode, because my biggest takeaway is believe what you want to believe. And that's the whole point of the show, is that we give you information, and it's up to each and every listener to form their own beliefs, opinions, and it's basically up to them. I mean, even with you and I, Dad, we have our own beliefs, and we try to just put the information out there, and then it's up to the listener. Yeah, we started off with a conscious objector, uh, objector. Uh, losing his head because he wouldn't uh, didn't want to fight the Roman army. I don't know if times have changed that much. I think we have to respect other people's beliefs and um, be generous with each other. Well, thank you to all the listeners, and we look forward to next week's show. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com.
Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.